right. Well, again, uh, welcome everyone here on the fourth Sunday in Advent. Uh, been talking about different kinds of healing this Advent. Uh, we looked at healing of the body. <laughs> he talked about healing of the body while I was sick with COVID and feverish and shaking. Talked about the mind. Sue Justice shared some thoughts. Today we're going to go deep. Uh, and you know how I like to go, go deep on topics. We're going to look at a topic I love, which is uh, we're going to look at the soul. Talk about healing of the body and the mind. We're going to look at healing of the soul today. And uh, part of why I like to get into these deep topics, as you know, is because I, I want you, I mean really everyone, but I want you to have, I want everyone to have a faith that's deep enough and solid enough, you know, that helps us, that so that you can have peace and contentment with God and have faith that isn't fragile. Uh, and so I like to go time to time, we're going to go deep. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the soul. And, um, and so we're going to talk about soul healing. And so, of course, as soon as I, I said, we're going to talk about soul healing, I'm like, man, I can feel, hear a 70s song starting right now. I can hear the four on the floor, you know, the backtrack going. Um, or, you know, because you think of these things, when you talk about things like soul or, you know, what's the other image you always get? It's like some guy in Sedona, you know, with his white thing, and I am Guru Gustafson, you know, and, and I, I have this special little pill that will get you soul healing to align your energies with your with the orbital magnetism stuff. Um, it, it'll give you great soul healing. Um, you might get visions of pink elephants while you're at it, too, and, and a bad letdown in a couple days, but, dude, it will be great soul healing, man. And then, of course, when you talk about things like soul, on the other hand, then you get all the materialists, right? There is no soul. That's all oogie boogie. We are nothing but molecules and selfish genes wired to produce, reproduce and survive. That is all we are, you know, existing accidentally in a meaningless, pointless void. Ugh. You're like, wow. Merry Christmas to you too, Mr. Dawkins. But yes. Unfortunately, I think, the concept of the soul has gotten kind of a bad rap because like anything else that gets into popular culture, it takes off on its own. But, uh, but the word, the concept of the soul, it's all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Especially a lot of it's in the Psalms. Uh, and it's often the word soul and spirit will be interchangeable in the Bible. And... Um, so, you know, Jesus will be sitting there the night before he's going to die. He'll say, my spirit is troubled, but that could also be my soul is troubled. And, um, and so it's very much in the teachings of Jesus. It's in the scriptures. So I thought, let's sit back and take a little look at the two main understandings of the soul. Because there are two different ones. I called, so I called the graphics department. Can we get the one? I call this the ghost in the shell. As, and us Gen Xers, we always have to design, draw the ghost like it's a Pac-Man, right? But this is a ghost in the shell, or Sting would call it the spirit in the material world. Um, I think this is probably what most people think of when they think of the soul, uh, as almost like it's a separate entity that just inhabits our body. And that's what Plato taught, 
way back when. That basically our soul is just a, our body's just a shell, and the soul existed before us, and then it sort of jumped into our body, and when we die, it'll jump into the next one, sort of like a spiritual hobo. You know, it just jumps on one train, rides it out, you know, get to Cleveland, you switch up, you just get another train, and you just keep riding and riding, right? And that was kind of how he understood the soul, and I think most of us think of it that way, in this kind of like it's a separate from us. Or we'll say things like it's the real us, but it's somehow disconnected from our bodies. And the thing is, that's not how the Bible talks about it. In the, body, in the Bible, there isn't a separation between our bodies and our souls. There isn't a, it isn't a separate entity. That's Plato's idea. That's not a Bible idea. In the Bible, instead, it talks about the soul as the seed of our deepest desires and joys and longings and connections. It, it, it's, it's, it's essentially us, but the deepest part of us. And I drew it this way to sort of show that the whole, the soul, is, it's our whole selves. It's not something that detaches from the body. It's not a computer processor that you pop out of one, you know, thing and pop into the other. It's where you find true joy and love and connection and fulfillment. But we all know that you don't do those things in a, you know, disembodied way. You know that phrase, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts? That's always kind of a complicated way of saying that your body, your mind, your heart, they're all together. They all kind of function together. They work together. And when they are together, they make something that is more than just those parts, that's more than just molecules and selfish genes. You know, and that's something more like dreams and, and hopes and, and pains. That's what makes us different from robots. You know, the mystics used to say, that the soul is what connects us most closely to God. It's where God dwells in us, in our deepest, fullest selves. That's where God is. So God is in our fullest selves, our deepest selves, and when we are separated from God, and often we get separated from God because I think we're afraid. We're afraid to go there, into the deepest parts of ourselves, to let God into that deep self. I often talk about in prayer I, I often find, and maybe it's just because that's how I think, but part of why we sometimes don't like doing confession or real self-reflection uh, in prayer is not because we're worried what God's going to say. I mean, God already knows what I did last summer. <laughs> but do I want to admit it to myself? Do I want to acknowledge it? If I sit in stillness and prayer and I say, God, I'm bringing my whole heart to you, do I really want to see what's in there? Or do I just want to get back to work? And, and I think that's part of the hardest part of confession is that, is that gazing into the soul, while it sounds very mystical, is really just, in essence, opening yourself to God, showing you yourself, and that can be, I'm not sure I always want to see that. So I drew it like this, like a Holy Spirit dove that we feel in our souls. The first time I drew it, I drew it like a fire coming out of the heart, and I'm like, oh, that looks like somebody's heart just blew up, like a Sigourney Weaver movie or something. I'm like, that's not going to work. I'm not going to be an internet meme. Um, we are something more than just mo mo uh, molecules and selfish genes. 
And that something more is things like love, desire, hope, experience. You know, it's why we say, you know, that people who seem to have no feeling for others, we say they have no soul. You know, it's like, it's like if you sat down and met Vladimir Putin, does he have a soul? I don't know. I certainly can't see it. Does he have feelings? Not that I can tell. If he does, he hides it, right? And the soul, the soul that we have is either filled with things that satisfy those deepest longings, or it's filled with pain because those longings aren't satisfied. The lack, the emptiness, the unfulfillment is what makes the pain in the soul. So, to heal, to heal the soul is to satisfy the soul. Let me say that again. To heal the soul is to satisfy the soul. It's to fill up with the things that meet our deepest desires and our deepest joys. Let's look at some scripture on this. Psalm 30, we'll start at Psalm 30, 11 and 12. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. So the soul was troubled because it was mourning. Something was mourning. That's why you'd put on the sackcloth. So something, something was lost. Something is gone. Something has died. Something that used to, that was meaningful and important in life isn't there anymore. So there's a loss. And that, that's what mourning is. Mourning is a loss. And what did God do? God took the mourning and filled it with something else. Took away the pain, and now there's songs of praise coming out. The person is going to sing to God from the depths of his heart and soul, not just a contrived thing, but something you can't, almost spontaneous, like you can't hold it in. Or, let's look at the other side of the soul in the Old Testament. I'll give you another example. Job, right? Job 30, 16. And now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. Think about that image. Poured out. The soul is poured out. Right? Instead of being filled, it's emptied. And what emptied it? Well, for Job, a lot of things, right? He had a lot of affliction. But the emptiness makes the pain. Or, let's give this one more. Psalm 63, 5 through 8. The Psalms have a lot to talk about the soul. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. Look, look at that first image in the first one. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast. We're not separating body, you know? How can you have a soul at peace when your belly is empty? But what satisfies the soul, it's like with food. This is the, the material, the spiritual is getting all mixed together here. But the soul is satisfied as with a rich feast. The soul just had a whole bunch of turkey. 
and now it's sitting down to watch college football. It's praising God because God has satisfied it, and the satisfaction is so complete, it just praises God all the time. Right? How did it satisfy? By helping, by giving joy, by giving support in times of trouble. I, I always wonder, I've wondered if part of the reason we get squeamish to talk about the soul in church um, is maybe because as good Protestants, we get a little squeamish about using words like desire and satisfaction. That they, they get so associated with promiscuity and lust and vice. Christians don't have desires. We're holy. Ugh. Desire isn't a bad thing. If, if you read, you read the mystics going back to the Middle Ages, the supposedly stuffy Middle Ages, it's all about the desire, flaming desire for the, of the soul. I mean, they use that image all the time. Desire is not a bad thing, right? If what you desire is good, I desire my wife. Can I say that? The problem is if I desire someone else's. It could go from a holy thing to a destructive thing. I can desire peace, or I can desire personal power. And the difference between the holy and the destructive desires is the holy desire will fill you up and satisfy, and the destructive desire will leave you empty and unfulfilled and wanting more. Right? Healthy food will leave you satisfied. Cheetos will leave you wanting more. <laughs> and actually, literally, they actually designed it. You can read up on this. Cheetos are designed to leave you empty. They are designed to give you the highest like, salt, fat, sugar high they can, but not satisfy you. Because if they satisfy you, you'd stop at two or three. It, it's absolutely deliberate to not satisfy you, right? Healthy food satisfies, junk food leaves you wanting. Deep relationships leave you satisfied, hookups leave you empty and unfulfilled and wanting another one. Work that builds up, that builds up your community, your world, that satisfies, even though it doesn't always pay well. Work that's just about me getting for me will leave you empty, like being a stock trader who short sells companies doesn't leave you satisfied. It's why I think you can find spiritual leaders who will live in tiny little apartments or cubicles, live very simple lives, and be way more satisfied with life than billionaires who always have to keep buying things. The desires of the soul, the longings of the soul, are for things that God has made to bring us true and meaningful joy. And desiring them is not a dirty thing. We shouldn't try to resist that desire. In fact, what I would tell you to do to find the peace that comes from having a truly filled soul that is one that is satisfied with its deepest desire, here's what I'd tell you to do. Here's my... Short, but not simple prescription. Simple, but not easy. There we go. Name the desires. Just think about them. List them. Write them down. Ask yourself, what do I really seek in the depths of my soul? 
What do I really seek? What am I really looking for to satisfy me here? I go, I'm going to bet that if you look deep down at the things and ask yourself, what do I really desire, it's not more hookups than a Lamborghini. But you've got to name it in yourself, whatever it is, and be honest. You might not like what you see, but remember, God already knows. And you might not like what you see, or you might really realize, yeah, there might be an opportunity to reassess. Or another approach to find out what you most desire is to go at it from the negative. So what do I feel that's missing? Where is there a hurt or pain or a grief or a struggle? That will help you name the lack and let you know that what you really know, know what you really desire by knowing the opposite of it. Right? You know, you do, that, that sort of phrase, you don't know what you got till it's gone, right? Think about what's gone. It'll help, you tell, it'll help tell you what you desire, what you lack. And then two, just bring those desires to God. Bring those desires to God honestly. Name those desires in prayer. Dwell in them. There's a prayer, I've been trying to do it online, called the desire prayer. Where all you do is you just name your desires and you bring it to God and you sit there. Maybe for a couple minutes, five minutes, however long it takes. You name the desire and you sit there and with God in that desire and you own it. And then you ask God to fill your desire. Ask God for guidance how to live your life in a way that fills the soul. A life with a healed soul is a life where our deepest desires and longings are met with the greatest good. And it's in God where we find that. God is the supply of the greatest good and joy that fulfills in a deep and meaningful way the desires of a soul, and that is how we bring healing to our souls. Amen.